Growing Up, our brand new resource for churches and parents is out now. Woohoo! With Sunday school sessions, training videos, podcast episodes for parents and one for the whole family. All there to help our children navigate the confusion, filter the messages they're surrounded by and hear God's good story. All our Growing Up resources point to the Heavenly Father who loves our children even more than we do and has the answer to their biggest questions about who they are and how to live. Together, as families and churches, we can support each other to start good conversations about bodies, gender and marriage so our children can grow up hearing God's good story. Head over to the website faithinkids.org and find out all the details about growing up. Something like 80% of parents know it's our responsibility to raise our children in the knowledge and fear of the Lord, but only about, you know, 10% of us do it. What's really interesting in those who have walked away, their faith was assumed. All I can do is point my kids to their heavenly father, to, to the greatest dad, to the, the, the dad who is infinitely greater than me, who won't ever let them down, who won't ever mess things up, who'll always be there for them, who is the source of all truth. Hello, this is the Faith in Parents podcast. This is a podcast for parents who want to raise their children to know Christ. We know it's difficult. We know it's confusing. We even know you probably don't know what you're doing, but we're going to do it with you. It's a pleasure to have you. I'm Ed. I'm the director of Faith in Kids. Today, it's my pleasure to be joined by two great friends, Ben and Robin. Before I let you speak, this is one of those crazy crossover podcasts. They are the hosts of Robin, what are you the host of? We host a podcast called Everyday Dadding, where we try to encourage and support and resource dads to raise their children, to talk to their children about Jesus uh, through all the storms of life. Robin, what qualifies you to host a podcast called Everyday Dadding? I'm a Christian and I'm a dad. (laughs) Is that fair? One is the Lord's mercy and the other is your wife's generosity. <laughs> Robin, just tell us a little about your family. Uh, so I am married. I have four children um, between the ages of seven and uh, 15, nearly 16. I had a really helpful conversation with you where you have a daughter who is, I think, two years older than my oldest daughter. And you, you have been very helpful to me in telling me that if there comes a day when she no longer wants to be in the room with you or give you a big hug, mm or sit on your lap, it's okay. The Lord is still at work and the day might come again. It might it might come around full circle. That's what I'm longing for. Absolutely. It's it has made me cherish my daughter while she's still giving me hugs. Yeah. And to those listening, your daughters may give you hugs forever. Mm. But I did find it helpful. Robin is just a, a little season of life ahead of me. So I love talking to him about being a dad. 
Uh, and we're joined by Ben. Ben, tell me where you are. Tell me about your family. So I live in Droitwich, which is, I guess, just south of Birmingham. Married, three kids aged between eight and 11. I reckon I get most stages of dadding right about two years too late. So I think... <laughs> So now I have an eight-year-old boy. I think I, I think I'd really know how to look after a four-year-old. I think I've got that nailed now, but it's too late. And maybe you're as arrogant as me in that you know to present a podcast on parenting or dadding. You will soon find, if you haven't already, that people assume you think you know what you're doing. Could you could you tell us what does it take to be a Christian dad, Ben? What is a Christian dad? A Christian dad is someone who is a Christian who happens to have children. I think there's no particularly, there's no, there's no special qualifications. What does it take? That there is a spectrum that you can be on between you know whether you're doing it well or not. And I found that the, the older I get, the older my kids get, the more I see flaws in my character and brokenness in me. All I can do is point my kids to their heavenly Father, to, to the greatest dad, to the, the the dad who is infinitely greater than me who won't ever let them down, who won't ever mess things up, who'll always be there for them, who is the source of all truth. And I try and do that as best I can, you know, failing and slipping and tripping all the way. Thank you, Ben. Robin, you you work for a church in Cheshire and um, you have been there a good number of years helping families to grow in their love of Christ. Uh, We're on this episode talking about reading the Bible together as a family. Are, Are there some common conversations you find yourself having with families either persuading them to open their bible together or struggling to or failing to what are the conversations in ministry that you find you often come back to with dads yeah i think often the one is is when do we do it um actually when when do we find time as a family to to open the bible together i think that's quite a common one you know if, if you've got it if um if you're working hard you leave early doors you come back late you're taking the kids out to um, swimming or to you know whatever it might be then I think one of the big questions is well where, where are you expecting me to fit this into my busy schedule um, and uh, and I think it's sometimes helpful in those times to say well look we, we just we want to hear what God's got to say to us as a family and and that's got to be our priority wherever we can when we're together as a family even if it's in the car driving to school one of us can open the bible and read it and, and we can have a little chat about it um, so I think I think that's probably the one that the one big thing that keeps coming back uh, on, on a regular basis. Thank you. When people have a go, how do you encourage them to keep going? Is there some tips you send them? The thing about parenting is it it's not just for a season. It doesn't finish next week. Yeah, I think I think that's right. And certainly the, what I've learned over the years is that these things change you have to adapt and you know as family life changes so we used to we used to be able to do breakfast um time uh, opening the bible together um, and there's just no time for that anymore as, as kind of we hit high school and they're heading off early and earlier we've we had to shift it to um to tea time so i think one of the helpful things when when parents come back to me is is to say kind of roll with the punches to some extent you know it's, it is kind of adapt um change it week by week if need be find something that works for you but don't don't be afraid of changing it if it stops working thank you did the two of you grow up with your parents opening the bible with you regularly i didn't yeah i did ben what is your memory of family bible times growing up if i was being brutally honest is that they were pretty dull it seemed to be something that we did because we had to 
So tell me, if you were totally honest, Ben, what do you remember? What does stand out? This was something that was important to my parents. This was something that was important in our family. It, it was habit-forming, but also meant that I think I just grew up with a sense of this is where we go to understand how to live life. Yeah, that this is our source of truth. I, didn't, I wouldn't necessarily articulate it in those ways as a kid, but I guess that's what it did. It drummed that in, I think. Yeah, tell me, Ed, are these the kind of responses you're getting from parents? What What are you seeing out there? Uh, the, the responses I get from parents, I, I find unbelievably moving. My experience is, is that most of the families in our churches aren't used to opening the Bible together regularly. I think the reasons they don't is normally a lack of confidence. They think they can't do it. Uh, a lack of understanding of what does it look like? Because, you know, the, the three of us are probably um, the norm, which is that we are three Christian dads and only one of us had it done with us regularly. So uh, let's be gentle with the families in our churches. And let's start by saying it's OK to assume you don't know what you're doing you're nervous. You don't know how to finish it. You don't know how to start it. You don't know how to answer the questions. Your children aren't used to it. And so children not in a routine are a hard thing to get going. So let's start with a spirit of gentleness and have a go. So I wrote The Wonder of Easter, and I may come on to later mention Meals with Jesus, our forthcoming book of Family Bible Times. <laughs> and both of them are written, honestly, for those families who don't know what they're doing. So once a family has a go, I, I was in a house, um, I was staying overnight with some friends. They were at a church in Hull. And while I was there, their church was doing the wonder of Easter. They had a church WhatsApp group because they had worked out. They need each other to say, mine was carnage. How was yours? To encourage each other that they are not getting it wrong. And up pinged over breakfast, a mother who said, my husband has just led his first family Bible time. Mm. And it, it, it was great. Now, in honesty, I would have written The Wonder of Easter for that one family right there. And uh, that moves me now to be very emotional mm. in that that is enough. If you have had one family Bible time that you have led for the first time and lives haven't been lost, do it again tomorrow. Yeah. Another story of a, a children's worker in Southampton who uh, a single mum in her church, uh, three kids said, look, I've never done one of these. I don't know where to start. I've, I've been persuaded by you to buy this book. Can you come and do one for us? She went round. She did one. The single mum honestly said, I can do that. <laughs> Do not wait for the day your children sit at the table and as one say, Father, we are ready for your profound wisdom from the Bible. We will not move till you are finished. Don't wait for that day. That day is never going to come. Instead, anything that isn't routine is painful and hard. So you do one and you look at your children afterwards and say, that was the highlight of my day and it won't be a lie. Because if you're a parent who loves Jesus and loves your children, it will be momentous. You then do it the next day and the day after that, and you look at each other after the first week, and you've probably only done three in a week. Mary and Joseph didn't manage five in a week. And you look at one another and say, we're doing this, family. This is what it means. 
to messily live for Jesus. Ben's recording of his childhood is what every parent needs to hear. I was bored, frustrated, but now as an adult, I say to mum and dad, thank you. Yeah. I was clear it mattered to you. Amazing. We're saying this is a, this is not a difficult thing. It's not. It's a simple thing. What's in that 10 minutes? Okay, great. I mean, I first want to say I'm not actually saying it's not difficult. I think it is difficult. We, we did them this morning. It's still difficult. I opened the book we're using. One of my children said, please, can we not do that? Can we do this? And I actually gave in because he was holding up a kid's storybook. He's six years old. And I thought, okay, I give in. You want to open that Bible? It's a Bible. So it's difficult. We start with a prayer. I try to get someone different each day, sometimes mum, sometimes me, sometimes a child. My six-year-old never prays for the thing I ask him to pray for. He always prays, dear father, thank you for this day. Help us to have a good day. Amen. I then say, dear father, please help this Bible time not to be awful. Amen. We then read a bit of the Bible. I would say normally less than five verses. I try not to do much talking because children want to do the talking. So if you have a principle of only one child talks at a time, they'll probably talk. Can I come up with one question for each child that is on this passage so they don't have to remember yesterday? I never say, what did we learn yesterday? Because I don't know what we learned yesterday. So they don't either. I ask one question to each child. I normally leave my wife till last because if it's been a car crash, when I ask her a question, she'll probably think, I'll help you out, Dad, and give you an answer that will help us get to where we're going. And then I say, should we pray? Uh, At the beginning, that's an awful thing to say because children pray if they're used to praying. We pray until we pray. So if you're starting to pray, I give a line to each child. Why don't you pray about this? Or even why don't you say, my six-year-old dear father, thank you that. Help us to be people who do what you say. That's the parable we looked at this morning. And then I do actually, when it's true, look my children in the eye and say, nothing better will happen to me today. And that's that's normally true. That's really good. Let's spell out a little bit then. It's difficult. It's a challenge. It doesn't look particularly glamorous. Why go through the heartache? Isn't it easy just to get through breakfast and get on with the day? I'm a broken father. And as my children get older, I am clearer and clearer that I have less to offer them. Hmm. Uh And I think it's probably true that there is some sort of cycle I've been through, which in the first year of my first child's life, I was clear I had nothing to offer. I think then I probably believed I did. So when my second and third children were born, I think probably briefly I thought I had something to offer. As soon as they could answer back, and probably more recently as I've got older, I do feel more broken. I'm more aware of my brokenness. God is kind to me. So I I think there is an element of, as I get older, I am clearer and clearer. I have less to offer my children. And I am praying more and more, Father, be kind. Be kind to my children and allow them to grow up to know Christ and to trust you more than they trust me. So I think probably there might have been a stage when I opened the Bible because I thought it was the right thing to do or someone wise and godly had told me it's a good thing to do. I think now the issues my children have, and I I don't think we're a particularly radically messed up family. One of my children this week was caught cheating. She was in tears. My son was taking an exam and he has broadly very minimal chance of passing it. And in those two situations as a father, I can't help. I can't help either of them with those problems. 
with both of them, I can look them in the eye and I can say, we're now going to pray to the one who is in control and understands and loves you and can fix this. If you don't have a crisis, you may not say that. But when you open God's word, that is normally what you say. We need to hear this because we're not going to get anything better today. Yeah, no, that's that's a beautiful picture, isn't it? I'd hope that that encouraged each of our dads listening to say, I, I, I can do this. I can do this. So there's an American guy who does a lot of family ministry. And he says, you know, something like 80% of parents know it's our responsibility to raise our children in the knowledge and fear of the Lord. But only about, you know, 10% of us do it. There is that gap between knowing what we need to do and being able to do it. And Ed, I think that's really helpful. Just saying this isn't rocket science. It's hard in terms of persevering, but actually this is something we rely on God for. Ben, you are, as we've heard, you are one of those um, precious folk. Uh, and I don't say that lightly, who have been raised by Christians who have sought to be intentional and to open the Bible with you. And you've explained some of the frustration. You've also explained some of the upside. Apart from the conclusion of the whole long process when you leave yeah, yeah. home at whatever age and you think, OK, I now see some of that perspective what, what do you think your awareness was at the time? What, what, what were you seeing? What do you remember? I think my, my parents were brilliant at allowing us like a decent level of independence. So I don't think at any point we would think that we were you know, brainwashed or that kind of, yeah, there was none of that kind of going on. But I think the way that they prioritized opening the Bible with us when we were younger um, and, then Sunday, and, and then going to church on Sunday morning uh, was, was a non-negotiable. But they did that in a way that it, it, was, it was never kind of debated or argued. And I only kind of realized that it was a thing um, when I was 17. Uh, and this I remember very clearly. Um, I'd started training with a, a rugby team with a mate um, and had a trial coming up. Their fixtures, if I'd got into the team, were on a Sunday morning. And so and I was talking to dad about it. And, and he just turned around and said, well, why are you bothering going for the trial? Because you won't be able to play in the games. They're on Sunday mornings. And at 17 years old, when I probably should have rebelled and got all stroppy, I just went, oh, yeah. And that was the end of it. And that really kind of struck me. I remember afterwards thinking, somehow the, the, the way that our family has been structured, the way that mum and dad have brought us up, meant that when I was 17 and my dad said, you're coming to church on Sunday morning, you're not playing rugby, I didn't even argue. Actually, yeah, that's the important thing. And, and I think that, and that's, been a, that, that's been a kind of a standout moment, I think, at looking back in terms of, that body of just demonstrating where our dependence is, demonstrating what our priorities are as a family, meant that that just wasn't an argument. That particular incident really sticks out, I think, for me. It's incredibly striking. Uh, I heard a very helpful sermon on some aspect of parenting. It was just making the point that uh, parents are training us to be without them. Mm -hmm. That story is a huge encouragement to me as a parent to, to pray for the day when that conversation happens, to pray it happens. Mm. Because I think everyone who listens to that story is waiting for the moment where you say, and you know, I told my dad, this is, this is, you know, this is a choice I have to make now. And, and to hear that moment that there can be a day, we pray for a day when our children say, thanks, dad. I think that's right. That's what yeah. we pray for. Thank you, Ben. Do keep telling stories of your dad on your podcast. 
because um, look, he did as best as he could. And by God's grace, you're the man you are. Stories like that inspire me as a dad, that it, it could be possible in his strength. Mm. Robin, you're in that world where you have teenagers walking free in your house. <laughs> a scary place. I think it's okay for parents to say, as some do, Ed, when you have teenagers, what you're saying isn't possible. And to some degree, that's true. You know, as you've already explained, some things have to change. Can you give us some insight into uh, some lessons you've learned so far? In you know, Not that teenagers are a new species or your children leave and a new one arrives, but uh, and and the nature of parenting is you just do one day at a time. But things that strike you so far of you know being a Christian dad to a teenager, opening the Bible with your teenagers. Yeah, I think I think at times when they audibly groan, <laughs> actually just ignore it. You know when they go when you say right, get your Bibles out, um, and they go oh, actually just just press on, just, just crack on. It's all right. They'll get over it. When they react and say I totally disagree, actually that's good. That's not a bad thing that they're beginning to have independent thoughts um, and they might say, um, I think you're wrong on this. So we've just uh, this isn't this particularly isn't the boast. We ju- we're just finishing the book of Revelation, reading it together. Um, Tell me you started at Genesis 15 years ago. I, I wish we did. I, I just did it for fun. Um, but what what's brilliant about doing a book like that is that you can sit there and go, what do you think this means? And they can say, well, what do you think, Dad? And I can say, I haven't the slightest idea. I haven't got a clue what this eight-headed dragon with seven horns on each head and three eyes is doing or what it's about. And they can go, all right, Dad hasn't got all the answers. I'm not, I'm not sure. And so when I can say, well, look, I think it's about this. And then you get kickback saying, well, what do you think it's about that? That's, you know, I don't think it's about that. Actually, it's going, okay, well, let's chat about it. Um so all I'd, say, all I'd say is don't, at that point, don't be afraid of the pushback and, and, the, dis, and the, the discussion that comes across like an argument. Um, I'm not perfect, perfect at it and I re- react to it regularly, but actually just, pre- just press on. Just keep going. One privilege of hosting a podcast is you get to learn from the people you interview. Jeremy Marshall, he did one with us. He says a clear defining feature of his father is he was very happy to have hugely vociferous arguments. Mm. He was very happy for his children to express themselves in the strongest possible terms when they disagreed with him. And he would, he would fly, he'd relish it. Come on, tell me. Not, not because he wanted to fight them, but he wanted them to think it through come back with it with the, the opinion and to have an honest discussion, not just to tell them the right answer if there is such a thing. But and it, I think is what the research often says is teenagers long for the chance to express honest questions and sincere doubt. Oh, yeah, that's huge. Absolutely. I mean, in terms of developmental stuff, the teenagers world growing beyond the family, beyond their friendship networks in, into a wider kind of world and having to kind of react against that and with that beginning to kind of synthesize these big ideas it's like hang on you know i thought the world was this big and like that and suddenly i'm seeing there are people of different religions or people of different you know different opinions or you know um, different philosophies going around how how do i synthesize all of that how do i make sense of all of that and so of course there's going to be grating within them and rubbing within them which comes out through their mouths and, and 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 what they say 
Um, and uh, and we want to walk with them through that as best we can, mm. uh, through the doubts, which are going to be there. And, and actually, it's always better that the doubts are expressed than the doubts are held in. Yeah, yeah. Amen to that. I hoped, Ben, you had something more to say than amen, yeah, yeah, to that. But is that... Uh, why I why I want your opinion is you spent a great deal of time in youth work while I was in children's ministry. So you, if, if you got something to add or do you just really do think Robin's got it? I think that pretty much is a sum total. But I just think even in a youth from a youth work context, one of the one of the most common reasons people give for walking away from the church and walking away from the faith is that they didn't have a place where their questions were answered. They've grown up in the church and they've been told this is what you believe. And if you've got questions, what you're just you're doubting and you mustn't doubt. Yeah, this is the truth. You've just got to kind of blindly accept these doctrines. There's no place for kind of wrestling with this stuff. And life is hard. The the Bible is not straightforward. You know, we need to have a place for people to wrestle with things like, you know, you talk about an almighty, all-powerful, all-loving God. Well, why is there evil? And actually, if you just turn around and tell a teenager, we'll just suck it up and get on with it, that doesn't doesn't help. It's the opposite. So Ruth Perrin has done some very interesting research on 20-somethings who have walked away from the faith. What's really interesting in those who have walked away, their faith was assumed. They never had a moment of crisis. Whereas Mm -hmm. those who stick it are those who in their teenage years had a real crisis experience Mm -hmm. and really were forced to work through and wrestle uh, with some of the big issues or big questions, well, you know, whether that was through suffering or death or sexuality or, you know, whatever it might be that mm. they had to kind of work it through. And from that point on go, okay, I'm going to stick this. Yeah. Thank you very much. I, I have a friend. Uh, she is, I think now 38, maybe <laughs> she doesn't remember a single day under her father's roof when he didn't open the Bible with her. Well, that's a testimony, isn't it? My, my kids can't say that of me. No. But when I hear, sorry, and she is going on with the Lord. Mm. When I hear her say that, I want to be a better dad. Mm. I, want, I want my children to say, and just so you know, when they come with their children to stay, he still does it. He still opens the Bible with his grandchildren and his son-in-law. And I, I want to be that dad. Mm. If they said nothing else of me at my funeral except... He had very little to offer us, but he opened the Bible each day. My life would have been a success. That's a legacy, isn't it? Testimony of, uh, of faithfulness in that way. Ed, tell us a little bit about Meals with Jesus. It would be my pleasure. Look, me, I'm, I can make a joke, but the great thing about writing a, fam- a book of family Bible times about meals where Jesus was sat at the table, that it would be ludicrous if I claimed I'd done anything special in that process. There are, in Luke's gospel, eight meals Jesus had and a story about a meal. So I've taken those meals. It takes four days to go through them because, as I've said, I don't believe anyone can do five a week. Uh, If you take four weeks to do four, great. And we just walk through those nine stories. At the end of each day, I've tried to put a sort of what's this going to do with our heart day? Because I think that's a battle for parents is to keep thinking, how is the Lord helping my child's heart rather than how am I helping my child's behavior? So something to help the child ponder, even if they're three or four meals with Jesus, go to the Good Book Company website and sit at a table with Jesus with your kids and uh, you won't regret it. And I think it's worth saying um, So the wonder of Easter is also available. Uh, Even if it's not Easter, it's worth looking at the cross and resurrection of Jesus. Never a bad time. It's a bit awkward if you do it in Advent, but otherwise it's fine. 
Uh, Robin, you have been kind enough to say that your family did do The Wonder of Easter. Did. And as the sequel, Meals with Jesus, is going to be out now, which follows the same pattern in many ways, uh, what makes you recommend The Wonder of Easter to people and what might make you recommend The Meals with Jesus to people? So The Wonder of Easter I found really helpful in engaging the whole family. So it's flexible enough that if you've got a young family, you can use it. If you've got a slightly older family, you can use it. Or if you've got quite a spread of ages um, and stages like me, actually, it still works. Um, and it and the questions are very helpful in being really open questions that they get discussion going rather than kind of, you know, who was it up the trees? Zacchaeus. Well done. Um, you know, they're much they're much. They, they really get the discussion going at the mealtime. So we found them really helpful for that. Thank you. Ben, do you think you could pray for our listeners, maybe particularly our dads, as that seems to have been what we've been discussing today? Gladly. Father in heaven, thank you that we have you as our perfect father. Thank you that you um, are all loving, that you are completely consistent, uh, that you never lose your temper, um, that you never run out of patience with us, uh, that you are continually merciful um, and gracious towards us and we pray that you would help us to as best we can uh, model that to our children help us to point our children to you help us to to get better at at modeling you um, uh, and we ask that as, as our children grow up would would the legacy that we uh, leave with them not be one where they look where, where they they point to us um, would they not talk about having a great dad? Would they talk about having a dad who opened the Bible um, and pointed them to their heavenly father? Um, would, would that be our legacy? Uh, we ask, help us with that task. Amen. 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 Thank you for joining us. Because it's a crossover podcast, I get to say subscribe to Faith in Kids podcast. That's how you get it every time on your device. And subscribe to Everyday Dadding. Search for it, subscribe to it, keep listening to it. It's mercifully short. I really look forward to doing this with Ben and Robin again soon. Uh, so come back here, but go to Everyday Dadding in the meantime. It's been a pleasure. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.